0: So Sweetly abides with it there at the cross where he took me.
1: we thank you we can sing a song like this because by grace we have been saved through faith, that not of ourselves. It is all you and it is all you that the glory goes this morning. Lord, we just want to give you praise. Uh, We want to make a joyful noise in your presence and we want to study your word and walk away from this place a bit more transformed into the image of Jesus and when we came. And that's our prayer and we pray that you would grant that for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. well, Welcome, ye hearty people from uh, from Ozark. Um, anybody go to the Chiefs game last night? Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, by the way, uh, thanks for coming today. And if if you felt unsafe to come, you're watching us online. God bless you. We hope you stay safe, and uh, we hope you worship with us in spirit and in truth today. Um, Let's see, we've got a, a white or a, a connection card to fill out, so if you're with us uh, for the first time, maybe second time, we'd love to know who's worshiping with us today, so please fill that out. You can put that in the offering plate here in a moment, or you can uh, go to the Connection Center and turn that in there. Um, so somebody told me that we've got a visitor from like six or five or six months ago. Glenn, are you back there? God bless you! Woo! For those that don't know, Glenn and uh, Lori have been on about a, what, five-month journey of a heart transplant, and uh, that finally happened about three months ago, and, and, and God bless them. They are back today. Amen, amen. Well, let's uh, continue in worship today with uh, reading from the book of Lamentations. This song came to us, oh goodness, about 40 years ago. And it is a great, great song that reminds us of God's faithfulness. Let's read it together. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The
0: steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His
1: the pastor will come and open God's word to uh, Hebrews 3. I saw his opening title. It says, consider Jesus. Well, I'm an old guy. So when I consider Jesus, a song comes to mind like this. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Let's all sing this great Isaac Watts song together. God, we come before you, and we just ask, Lord, that you would uh, bless these tithes and offerings, use them for your kingdom, use them for your glory, and uh, we just thank you for the privilege of being able uh, to give back to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
0: Trust in Jesus' name. alone Right Price alone, cornerstone, weak, made strong, in the same
2: Well, I think I went back a few decades, Brother David, <laughs> some of the music today, which reminds me to make a point that when it comes to music, <clears throat> songs, uh, I think we're called by God to remember that the Holy Spirit worked in past years in the lives of people to write good, biblical, biblically-based music. And so for those of you who think it has to be all new, don't forget that. But the Holy Spirit also works today in the hearts of people to write good, biblically-based music. And so if you're in the camp that says it has to all be old, then remember we have the same Holy Spirit that worked in the past and the present. That's a good lesson, isn't it? All right. Hebrews 3. Some of you thought we would never get to chapter 3. But here we are. Listen to the word of the Lord. Uh, Brother David has said the sermon title, Considering Jesus. Stronger word would be contemplating Jesus, the faithful son greater than the servant Moses. Now that theme carries us from chapter 3 in verse 1 down through verse 6. Okay? Beginning in chapter 3. Therefore, holy brothers... You who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses." But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. What are you becoming? Old and young alike today, ask yourself the question, what am I becoming? Because... Whether you realize it or not, there is a metamorphosis going on in your life, even as I'm speaking. There's a change going on in your life all the time. What we look at, what occupies our minds, and what we admire is what we are becoming. We are becoming what we are beholding. This is the law of God's economy in the universe. We become like that which we focus our attention. We become like what has our affections and our minds and our hearts. We can put it another way. We become like what we worship. Our thoughts, our words, our affections, our loves, our hates, our attitudes, and our actions are shaped... By what we put into our minds. Just to give you a little taste of that. We could go all over the scripture to see it. But one, in my devotional reading this week, this one spoke to my heart. Chapter Psalm 115, Psalm one hundred and fifteen, beginning of verse 4. Just listen. Their idols are silver and gold, the works of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Listen to verse 8. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. Even though these things can't do a thing, you put your trust in them, you will become like them. A.W. Tozer once said, We tend by the secret law of the soul, to move towards our own mental image of God. That's why your thoughts about God need to be grounded in thus saith the Lord. Not your feelings, not your experience, but what this book says. What the Bible says. We have lofty thoughts about our God when we contemplate Jesus. Why? Because this is what the Word of God has taught us. Uh, I'll give you another example of the metamorphosis that's going on in your life even as I speak and that's found in which I pray is going on in your life. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 one of my favorite texts of scripture beginning in verse 17. 2 Corinthians 3 17. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom and we all with unveiled face Beholding the glory of God, the glory of the Lord, (coughs) are being metamorphosis. Transformed, that's the word, into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Isn't that awesome? If you're saved today, you are beholding as it is the glory of the Lord and God is transforming you in a metamorphosis a change to become more like the lord so i say all that to tell you in hebrews 3 we reflect back on the massive principles of, of huge gigantic christological things of who jesus christ is he's god and we we contemplate that he is superior to angels that he up, he upholds all things by the word of his power and you reflect on all of that but when you get here it's time for encouragement for you to put into application all that you've heard about Christ why because to know Jesus is to be changed and to continually be changed that's the lesson so in other words in Hebrews 3 there are commands such as consider Jesus hold fast do not harden your hearts The doctrine of Christ is glorious in chapters 1 and 2. He's, even in this chapter, he's our apostle. He's the high priest. He's superior to Moses. He's the son over the house. And all of that doctrine is given to us to strengthen our faith. To motivate you to persevere. His goal is to strengthen, motivate faith, motivate perseverance. And that is what God is calling you to do today. He wants you to focus on the son the Lord Jesus, in doing so to strengthen your faith. And so I pray that our God would use this section for our good. I pray that the Holy Spirit would keep our hearts soft so that we hear His voice. I was reading some notes from a commentary set called Reformation Commentary on Scripture. It is a series of commentaries. It's new, and it provides an introduction to how the Reformers, like Martin Luther would have read this text and did his exegetical work and came out with what he thought this text was teaching. So it's an awesome thing to look over the shoulders of the giants of the past, isn't it? You do no justice to theology if you don't study what other people found out in the Bible when they lived. Right? It's not to say they were always right, but you do no justice to church history If you don't find out what they were teaching in 100 A.D. and 200 and 300 and 400. Well, this is in the 1500s. And I noticed, here's what Martin Luther said. Softly and gently, the apostle draws them to Christ by calling them holy. And as it were, flattering them. Here he teaches us that we should not preach Christ with fury or with a tempest. Indeed, Christ can be preached in no other way than peacefully and calmly. Here's what he says. The law should be revealed with thunderbolts. Amen. To those who are foolish and stiff-necked. But the gospel should be presented gently to those who are terrified and humbled. That's so good. Right? Because in the face of even the world we live in, we can't shy away from the law of God. What God says is truth. You can't move away from it at at all. But what you do is you preach Christ who actually fulfilled the law. You do so. You point to Christ and you do so gently. So I bring that out to tell you that even Martin Luther in the 1500s sees what I see in this text. And that would be this. He's, he's moving to that pastoral encouragement to them. It, this is why Hebrews is more of a sermon than an epistle or a letter. He's moving from, hey, this is who Christ is, don't forget it. It's absolute truth. But at the same time, you've got to apply it to your life for perseverance and strength. So he's being very pastoral here. Again, twice, verse 8 and verse 14. Do not harden your hearts like they did in the rebellion. In verse 19, so we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. He doesn't want them to move an inch away from Christ. If you do, you're in the realm of unbelief. You can't move an inch away from the only revealed word from God that will save your soul. You can't move away an inch from the only way that God can save your soul. So today I want you to understand one point. And I've tricked you. No, I didn't. The bulletin is longer, Uh, your outline is longer, but I'll fill it back in next week. You don't have as much uh, of a place to write, but that's okay. Sometimes I think taking notes, can you can miss the moment. Because when a sermon is preached, in that moment, it can never be preached just like that again. Are you understanding? Because truth is mediated through personality. That's the preaching. We preach the Word. So... It's great to take notes, but don't get so captivated in keeping your notes that you miss the moment of truth. The whole thing. It's, it's great to take notes, okay? But, but put your mind as you take notes on what you are hearing and listening to the instruction, the way the Lord has encouraged the church to grow from day one, right? The preaching of the Word. So, here's the thing I want you to see today. Jesus was sent by God to accomplish our salvation. That is what is taught in chapter 3, verse 1 down through, let's say, two B, Just before the introduction of Moses, there are some, there's some teaching there that is so rich and so deep that I want you to see this today. Jesus was sent by God to accomplish our salvation. So the writer wants the people of God to consider Jesus. And then he, I want you to see how he does this. He's using terms like holy brothers... Sharing together as partners in a heavenly calling. Considering Jesus. A confession. See it here in the text? He was appointed. He was faithful to that appointment. So I want to walk through these with you today. So these are sub points of the first division. Jesus was sent by God to accomplish our salvation. Watch how this works. First, we share in his heavenly calling. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in... A heavenly calling. So, don't you love the terminology? He uses holy, like Luther pointed out, holy brothers sharing together. He's trying to wed all those things together of a brotherhood and a family. Why? This is the most eloquent Greek you will find anywhere in the Bible. And he's, he's dropping you signposts. Of what the letter is going to be about in the future. He's going to come back full circle to brotherhood and family and household. And he's dropping these things in there. So he doesn't blast them. I mean, pastors have a tendency to see people moving away and drifting away. And they would say something like, you knucklehead. You're uncommitted. You're a group of maybe Christians or maybe not Christians. And it's time you act like believers. That's not the way he does it here. He, he, he uses these terms to remind them of who they are. Do you hear it? Holy! Man, that speaks to us. Brotherhood. Family. So, how many of you feel holy this morning at minus three? Right? Do you feel holy this morning? This is what he calls them. Now, our modern idea of holiness is often, most of the time, Unbiblical. And certainly misconstrued. The word means to be set apart. So he is talking to people that are set apart in two ways you're set apart from sin, and you're set apart unto God. That's what it literally means to be sanctified. He's addressing those, hear this, who are dedicated to Christ. How did they become holy? Of course we know how they became holy. They didn't go to a particular movie and they've, abs- they've abstained from drinking alcohol. Is that how they became holy? Now, if you are a believer, should it make a difference on how you view certain things in life like particular movies that you may or may not should watch and alcohol consumption and those things? Should you think about that, you better believe it. But that doesn't save you. That's not what sets you apart When the writer addresses them as holy brethren, he's addressing them as those who have been set apart, away away from sin, unto God, and they're dedicated to Christ. So where where does this Bible holiness come from? The setting apart does not come through New Year's resolutions. It doesn't come through weeping at the altar. It doesn't come through making promises to God. Or it even doesn't come from healing services that you may or may not be touched in a certain way. This holy calling of separation from sin and being set apart unto God comes through the saving, sanctifying work of Christ. And that's the only way you can be saved. So when he calls us brothers, he's referring to this fraternity of people who are blood-bought by Christ. You've been saved, you've been set apart, away from sin, unto God. So again, 2.11, this is where he calls us brothers at first. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. Who does this sanctifying work? Well, it is Christ. That is why he is not ashamed to call us brothers. He's reaching back to the brothers. He's bringing us together as his family. You belong to the family of God. You belong to the Father and the Son. Uh, Since we've reminisced on the past and singing this morning, do you remember the song, I'm so glad I'm a part? And we used to Baptists, we'd join hands, right? Of the family of God, I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. That's good, right? Really good. So the writer is bestowing upon us this marvelous and estimable privilege of sharing in this heavenly calling. Do you see it there? You are partakers in a heavenly calling. You share. That's, he's reaching back to another word. As, Christ, as you partake in human nature like everybody else, Christ partook of the same nature. That word means something he didn't have before that he took on. And now, because you're saved, you partake. You're a sharer in this heavenly calling. We're participants. What Jesus became, he became so that we could be participants. He became like us so that we could be with him. Now, let's talk about this heavenly calling. You knew I couldn't just bump over this, right? What does it mean to consider a heavenly calling? Calling, and it means at least two things. The origin of your salvation came from God, the origin came from heaven. That's what it means. Second thing it means is that's your destination. So, as the writer is encouraging people not to move an inch away from Jesus, he reminds them that there's no salvation apart from the God of heaven, and there's no destination to heaven. Apart from Christ. The origin of the calling of your salvation rests in God. It did not originate with us, or in us, or because of us. It wasn't anything within you that enabled you to believe. Not on your own. Our calling has its origination with God in heaven. When you are brought out of darkness into light, that's called being brought from death spiritual deadness, to spiritual life. This is what the Bible refers to as a calling. A heavenly calling is to be taken from the place of spiritual death and being made alive, Ephesians 2, and being given life. This calling originates with God as he sends the Holy Spirit of God from heaven to empower the gospel and to infuse the gospel with the effectual power whereby the dead are made to live. If you're a Christian today, that calling that made you a Christian originated with God himself. He's the author of salvation. The destination is also the immediate presence of God. This calling sets a destiny for you to heaven. Uh, Paul will say it this way. Let's press toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus the Lord. It, it puts into your mind that what That which originated in you is set before you as a destiny in heaven. So as a child of God, you're doing exactly what the saints were doing in Hebrews chapter 11. We will get there, right? You're looking for a city that is not of this world, but whose builder and maker is God. This is what God does in your mind and heart when you're saved. You realize that your salvation originated in heaven, but it also sets you toward a particular destiny. Again, let's revert back to old songs. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Right? We're pilgrims on a journey. It originated in heaven, and praise God, it's going to end as our destination in heaven. So we need these reminders of who we are, what we are called to be, and where he is calling us to go. Folks, you know this. It's so easy to get wrapped up into all the stresses of life. Whether it be financial or relationship-oriented, it's so easy to get our focus off. God doesn't designate us as a bunch of earth-bound people. You're designated as holy brethren who has a heavenly calling from God. You were called into this family, not by flesh and blood, John 1, But the Spirit of God sent from heaven. You have a heavenly destination. That's your calling. This should change the way you live, people. It should change the way that I live. It should change our marriages. It should change the way we raise our kids. It should change the way we view our money. It should change the way we view the evangelization of the world. It should change our priorities. In short, it should change everything about you. It's heavenly calling from God. It will change your life. It will to know Christ. What Christ has done and where you are going. All of those things makes a huge difference. Okay. You see the word therefore? Everybody see it? Well, that's important. It means for which reason. Othane is the Greek word. There is a conclusion to be drawn from what comes before it and what's come, what comes after it. So I've tried to lay that groundwork a little bit of what comes after it. So flowing out of this doctrine and teaching of the person and work of Christ comes a moral and spiritual and logical imperative that says this. Take all of this into consideration. And because of all of this, that's what's so strong with the word therefore. It is a massive adverbial hinge that carries this truth. Now consider Jesus. Right? Gigantic, gigantic hinge of what's gone before in chapters 1 through 2. Of what it means to think about Jesus and the heavenly calling. And him being your apostle. Him being your high priest. And consider, think on Jesus. Now, the word actually carries a little more weight than consideration. <laughs> I thought about this yesterday. Uh, I decided I was going to go hunting. And I said to Nathan, Nathan, you going to go hunting with me? Guess what his response was? No. Now, that was a consideration, right? Uh, Matthew shaking his head. He, he considered it. Uh, maybe I should say it like this. Consider hooking me up with an awesome white-tailed deer hunt. In a state nearby called Iowa, if I said that to you, what would you say? I don't know, think about? It. I'm not even going to consider that at all, right? This word means more, way more than that. This word means the the idea behind the word is to observe carefully, to contemplate, to reflect upon. Here it is: to fix the eyes of your spirit upon. He's going to use it again in Hebrews chapter ten, verse twenty-four. Then he's going to say, consider one another. Wow. I thought salvation was only about me. Oh, wait a minute. When you're in a church, you're supposed to consider, wasn't that? That's something interesting, right? That the church family should consider one another. That word there, again, is to contemplate and reflect on how we can encourage one another in walking with Christ so contemplate fix your mind so in other words you can take all of chapter 1 verse 1 through 218 all of that Christology the deity of Christ the sonship of Christ the superiority he has over angels his his sovereignty his eternality his humanity you take all that and what he has done and as one who shares as a partaker of this heavenly calling put your mind on Jesus Fix your thought. Contemplate. And folks, this is given with urgency. Why? Because you're coming close to another warning in Hebrews to not harden your hearts from what you've heard about Jesus. Lest you enter into unbelief. So this whole book of Hebrews is written to help us consider Jesus. Not just a nonchalant type, oh, I thought about him. No, you contemplate who he is. You contemplate what he has done. There's more to consider In Jesus Christ, then you can exhaust in a million lifetimes. You'll never be able to consider him and contemplate on him enough. So in chapter 1, the point was that Jesus is superior to angels. He sustains the world, but angels run errands in the world for him. He's the king, right? In chapter 2, Jesus takes on human flesh. He fulfills Psalm 8 for all of his people. You, O God, have made him for a little while lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor. You've appointed him over the works of your hands. You've put all things in subjection under his feet. And the point of every stage of this book is consider this Jesus. Ponder him. Fix your mind on him. If your mind is like a compass moving through a world of magnets... Making you spin in all kinds of ways. Make sure that Jesus is the north pole of your mental focus for all of your life. That's what he's saying. We need a word from God. This is, these are the two greatest needs for human beings. We need a word from God and we need a way to God. You need to hear from God and you need a way to God. We need to hear from God so that we will be, we'll know what he's like and his purpose is in the world. And what he requires of us. But we need also a way to God. So that we won't be cut off forever in a place called hell. So we have two great needs. To hear from God and to go to God. We need a revelation of who he is. So that we can be reconciled to God. Now consider Hebrews 3. That addresses those two needs that people have. And if you're a Christian it's already addressed those needs. What you've heard... And what you believed, that heavenly calling. And therefore you are a partaker and a sharer in it. We are holy brethren. That calling comes from God. It invites us in. It leads us to heaven. So the calling relates to the two great needs that we have. A word from our God and a way to our God. We are people who have been gripped by this. Are you awake this morning? Are you frozen? Does this not ramp up some affection out of your heart when you belong to Jesus? So the word of God broke through our resistance. He did and took hold of us with his truth and love for Christ and reconciled us to God. And now he's leading us to heaven. That's good. Amen. That's great. We are people of great hope. We have confidence in the Lord and is firm and we keep it there. That's what is going to be said in verse 6. We hold fast our hope, our confession of faith. So consider Jesus. This is what we're doing this morning. And the point of the book of Hebrews is to consider Jesus. He's the word you need from God, and he's the only way you can go to God. All right. You see why it was going to be impossible for me to preach what I put in the bulletin. All right. So Jesus was sent by God to accomplish our salvation. The first way to think about that is that we share in his heavenly calling. Second, he is our apostle sent by God. You see it there? Why can't the writer of Hebrews just make everything simple? But he's talked about the fact that he's our high priest, right? But this time he adds something he hasn't added before. And furthermore, he has never called the apostle anywhere else in the Bible other than here. So, you know, if you're a pastor and and you're a preacher of the word, a theologian, what do you do? You try to figure out why he would have called them an apostle. uh, Called Jesus an apostle. The reason being, of course, he's going to start talking about Moses. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? Was Moses sent by God? Did this dude have a miraculous entrance into our world in a river behind some bulrushes? Yeah, right? So when we hear apostle, we think of what? The twelve, right? That's not the way you should think of Jesus. He's not one of the twelve. He made the twelve. And he actually called the twelve. So the verb, I send, apostello is what's used here. That's the noun form, apostle. But it means the sent one. And he uses it all over the scripture. But in particular, you could probably think of the gospel that it's used more In in more ways than others, and that's the gospel of John. All right, I'll help you out. Okay, chapter 4, verse 34. Listen to this word. Here's the verb form. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. I could give you tons of them, but let's just go over to the high priestly prayer. John 17, verse 3 says, And this is eternal life. that they may that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ from whom you have sent. So, what's going on here? Jesus is sent from God. He is God. He represents God. He speaks for God. He achieves God's purposes, and he does God's will. In other words, we might say Jesus is the Father's apostle. Sent. When Jesus sent the twelve... Their call was to do what? Represent Christ to others. Well, Jesus is God and represents God. Apostle means one who is sent. He is sent from heaven with a revelation of a heavenly calling. And that heavenly calling is the only revelation that can save your soul. And the only way to God to save your soul. That's the teaching of scripture. High priest, we already learned, means they go between it is a mediator and that sacrifice is what reconciles you to God okay put this together Christ is and represents God to you and Christ is your righteousness that represents you to God and without it you can't be saved that's the glory of the one sent and the high priest who made The sacrifice because the sinless Savior died. My soul is counted free, for God is just and satisfied to look on Him, Christ, and pardon me. That's the gospel. We have great confidence that we have heard from God, and you have a great hope that you're going to God, that you're loved, and you're reconciled and secure. Jesus is the apostle from heaven. Who brought about your calling. And he's the final one. Once and for all high priest who made that sacrifice to reconcile you to God. And he guarantees your homecoming to heaven. He's the apostle sent by God. He's the high priest who made. He's not only the offerer of the sacrifice. He is the offering. Amen. All right. One more thing. Y'all, y'all good? Why would you want to leave out of this warm room anyway? Okay. Think back at the division. Jesus was sent by God to accomplish our salvation. We share in this heavenly calling. He is our apostle sent by God. And finally, he's the one whom we confess. Okay, you ready for this, Baptist? What is the one thing that's always true about confession? It's verbal. Y'all with me? You're saying something. He's the one in whom we believe. He's the one that we believe in. And we profess it with our mouths. That's what's going on here. He's the high priest of our confession. He's the high priest of our confession. You ever heard someone say, I don't talk about religion. It's private. I don't talk about my relationship with God. That's a private thing. Christianity Ladies and gentlemen, is not a private thing. It's a religion that must be confessed. It's a faith that has to be spoken. It is the faith that we hold and we openly acknowledge. When we have an opportunity to talk about our apostle and high priest of our confession, we do it. We believe in our hearts. We confess with our mouths. We cannot stop speaking about the things we've seen and heard. I'm I'm quoting some scripture, right? So if you know Christ, contemplate Him. He indwells you by faith. He's your great apostle and high priest. And there's something about that relationship that says, I must confess Him. Now, I I would look back on if He's really your apostle, if He's really your great high priest. If you're not willing to confess with your mouth who he is to you. I would, I would have questions about that. Maybe it's immaturity. Maybe you've never thought about it. And from this, forward, this, this time on when the preacher reminded you of it. You're going to say, you know what? I'm going to be in obedience to that. I hope so. If you contemplate him. If he dwells in you by faith. There's something about that that says I must confess him. I believe him. I confess that belief. I acknowledge him as my Lord and as my Savior. I verbally confess Christ by faith. Really, to have a non-confessing Christian, biblically speaking, is just as much an oxymoron as having someone who says they're saved and they haven't followed in believer's baptism. I'm meddling now, right? I've gone from preaching to meddling. Yeah, Well, you, you know, that's what it means to go through baptismal waters that water has no ability to save you it's not meritorious to your salvation in any form or fashion what it is is an act of obedience it's a confession that when you step in those baptismal waters something has transformed in your heart and life before you get in there it means you've been you were dead under the water buried with Christ but birthed, raised to walk in newness of life so When we stood in the waters of baptism, we confessed to the church, the family we love, holy brethren, right, called by God, and the watching world that I belong to Jesus and he is mine. That's what you do in baptismal waters. The confession is the truth embraced by the readers. That's why he's writing to them like this. He knows the confession that they have made. Not only did they trust Christ, but they made it public with their mouths. So, we might say confession is not an abstract list of doctrines, is it? I mean, we could put all this together with um, all those the litany of terms of who Jesus is. And we could say, well, that's the abstract thing. Well, the focus here is on Jesus himself and the work of, on the cross to save your soul. The focus is not on all the doctrine if it's not applied to life you understand so the reason for the exhortation is for the readers who may have limited themselves to the revelation that came through Moses to remind them if you're guilty of forgetting what Jesus Christ did for you and you're not willing to confess it and you're willing to repudiate his sacrificial work on your behalf and as a result if you do this and turn away from God Number one, you never had it to begin with. But number two, you're going to be walking in unbelief. Because remember, the only word from God to tell you how to be saved is Jesus. And the only way to God that God provided is Jesus. So if you turn away from him and move back to the law or or Judaism or what Moses said, which was in complete harmony with Christ, by the way, and we'll talk about that. But the issue is confess Jesus. Don't move one inch away from him. By the way, this is in the emphatic position. What do I mean by that? In my Bible, it says, In a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. In the Greek, it says, Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, comma, Jesus. And your Bible may say that if you don't have an ESV. Why is it doing that? So Christ is in the emphatic position there. Apostle, priest, Jesus. What's that mean? He's the only one that you consider when it comes to salvation. Nobody else. Only Jesus. So, the writer of Hebrews is very fond of the name Jesus. And we should be too. The name Jesus emphasizes his humanity. And what he did to become like us in order to save us. Alright, let's wind this down. Y'all ready to land the plane? I'm, I'm just now bringing down the landing gear. Okay? You hear that little bump in the plane? Huh. There's been a lot of that lately, right? Windows flying out. I'm not really. I can just tell you like it is. If they make battery-operated planes, I'm not getting on it. I mean, how are you going to charge that thing in the middle of the air? No way. All right? So the writer of Hebrews is fond of Jesus. Here's a question. Do you confess him before God? Do you confess Jesus before men? Do you confess him young people before watching class at school? Do you confess him guys and gals at the workplace, wherever you may be? Do you confess Jesus? Do you unashamedly profess with your mouth the Lord Jesus? Does that confession permeate the atmosphere of your home? We're making this practical. Does that confession drive your life? Does that confession mold your decisions? Does that confession dictate how you treat an unbelieving world around you? Does that confession make a difference in your life? Young people, listen to this. As parents, now this doesn't save you, this prayer doesn't save you, okay? Or this thought doesn't save you, but parents plead with our God, To open your eyes so that you will see the beauty of Christ. That you will confess Him and that you will live for Him all the days of your life. And the fact is, again, what I'm about to say is not the reason to believe. The reason to believe in Him is because He's Lord. Right? But I'll say this. There's nothing, young people, that thrills the heart of a Christian dad or mom more than a Christian son or daughter confessing Christ as Lord. I'm telling you, you can put the ball inside of the hoop a million times. I did it. Right? You can do all the accolades. You can get all the rewards. Nothing compares to my sons and my daughters saying, I confess Jesus. Because I'm telling you, none of the other things is going to matter. One bit. You'll be forgotten. I promise you. Your accolades will be forgotten. But not your confession. Of Christ so it thrills the heart of parents that love Jesus when their kids stand for Jesus make that confession so what does it matter if you gain the whole world but your soul is in darkness so you think by virtue uh, I'm addressing not just the young people but the older anybody in here if you think by virtue of the fact that you came into this building and you're confessing Jesus simply because you sang songs Or you taught Sunday school. Or when you were a kid, your mom took you to Our Lady of the Lake and a priest sprinkled some water on your head that you're okay. Or better yet, I'm an American. i got to be a Christian. That means I'm a confessing. I'm an American, right? Wrong. You might be an American, but that doesn't make you a believer. The confession the writer is talking about is the one that says, my eyes have been opened. By a heavenly calling. My heart is filled with faith. And my mouth can't help but speak about the things I love. And that is Christ. So fill your mind with Jesus, ladies and gentlemen. Gaze upon him. He's the one sent from heaven. He represents the Father. He's our high priest. He's the one that died to make you right with God. And when you get down to the brass tacks... Of what it means to be a Christian, it means that you are consumed with Jesus Christ. That's what it really means. You trust Him, you talk about Him, you sing about Him, you tell others about Him. All right, second part of the ending. Ready? Here's the deal. Is your life caught up in a sin? Let that settle into your mind. Is your life caught up in a sin? All right, number two. Do you feel like like your Christian life has been derailed do you feel lukewarm? Well, as Jesus said to the church of Laodicea, does it feel like you've lost your first love? If any of that describes you, let me tell you why it happened. If you're a believer today and, and any of those things, that maybe they've transpired in your life or you're in this moment. If that describes you, then you've got your focus off Christ and you're diverted away from focusing on Jesus. And this morning, you need to get your focus back on Christ. That's how you fix those things. If you're caught in a sin, put your mind on Jesus. If you think your faith is derailed, get your mind back on Christ. That's what the writer is saying. What do you do to press on? Obey Hebrews 3 verse 1. Right? That's what you do. Contemplate Jesus. Today, if you're here and you're lost, and you say, I don't know about this Bible thing, you're a skeptic or a doubter, start contemplating Jesus. Just just do this for me. Read the Bible and ask the Holy Spirit of God to, by faith, help you see Jesus. That's the best thing you can possibly do. Considering Christ, contemplating Jesus in the Word as He is. We'll find out in the future chapters that that will give you rest for your weary soul. When you contemplate Him, considering Christ for who He is in His Word will help out that gloomy soul. Won't you just get tired of Christians being so gloomy? You act like you're dragging a funeral procession behind yourself. And you've been saved by grace through faith. And you're on your way to heaven. It's okay to be happy. It's okay to smile. I don't mean one of these weird smiles like you're always happy person. They weird me out. I'm talking about (laughs) just always grinning. I'm not saying that. But deep down, there's a joy that this world can't take away from you. And you're a joyous person because you got Jesus, right? Right? So, considering Jesus in the Word for who He is will also kindle faith for a weak soul. You're going to get down to the end of the book. It says, Raise up your shoulders. You know, lift up those weak hands. Who does that? Well, if you're struggling with that, who is it that helps you? It is Christ. So, we become like that which we behold. Is that how we started the sermon? And here's the question Can I be transformed that simply, Pastor, by contemplating Jesus? Yes! Yes, you can. You don't need 15 steps to be a better me. Open up the Word of God and say, God, show me Jesus. I'm telling you, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word. God will do it. And and for the rest of you, it's okay to be consumed with Jesus. We're a holy, sanctified family of the living God whose home is in heaven. Our calling is from above, right? Be consumed with Jesus. He's the one whom we confess. All right, you ready? Romans 8. I'm sorry, Romans 10, I got the verse right, 8 through 10. And here's the way the verse starts. But what does it say? The Word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the Word that we proclaim. And because if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Turn your eyes upon Jesus will be appropriate at this moment, right? Look full into his wonderful face, and the things of earth will go strangely dim, grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Okay, listen to St. Patrick's famous prayer, and we're done. And when I say this prayer, remember, you become what you behold... And this particular prayer has both the occupation with Christ that we are to have as His people and the demonstration of Him in our lives. Okay? Are you ready? Has anybody ever heard this prayer? It's just a section of it. St. Patrick's Prayer. Here it is. Christ with me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Christ in me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit up, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks to me, Christ in every eye that sees me, and Christ in every ear that hears me. To God be, oh, I like that. To God be the glory, right? That's what it means to start becoming like what you behold. Glenn Redmond, on October 19th, was given a new physical heart. Just think about that. I mean, all that it entails in his life, it saved his life. Now Glenn would argue with you, up until about three or four days before his heart started failing, that he's going to be okay. But God knew different. His body began to feel that, and literally... That organ, taken out, another one sitting there pumping alive, put in. And here he is sitting in church. Literal heart transplant. I want to tell you something, folks. That was physical. But that's exactly what God does to you spiritually. He doesn't fool with this organ, right? You need to make sure kids understand what it means to ask Jesus into your heart. We're not talking about this pumping organ in here. We're talking about the seat of the emotions. We're talking about what makes you you. Well, God takes out the heart of stone. Sticks in a heart of flesh so that you might believe. That's the heavenly calling we're talking about. And when God does that and he gets a hold of you, he will have you forever. You will persevere and you will not pull up short and you won't stop. John says it this way. They went out from us because they were not part of us. Had they been of us they would have persevered. The ones God saves will persevere. He'll make sure you do. Amen? Amen. To God be the glory. Father, we, we're so thankful for the Word. There's a lot of things we don't know. Lord, as we read your Word, but here's what we do know. Salvation is of the Lord. You are the one that saves. Lord, if there's someone lost today, may they have a heart transplant. May you spiritually... Take out that heart of stone and put in the heart of flesh. May they trust by faith in Jesus only for salvation. May they repent of the direction of their life and the sin that they're moving toward. And may, in belief, turn to you. Lord, may that happen today. For Christians, Lord God, help us to be consumed with Christ. Contemplate, consider Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's
1: consider Jesus, consider his cross with this song as we sing it again, When I Survey.
2: myself off, right? We have to sing the last verse. In light of what you've heard, considering Jesus, doesn't this verse just grip your heart? Uh, He's better than anything this world can give us, right? If everything was ours, that's too small of a present to give to him or a present maybe to, to try to attain eternal life that you can't buy or barter for, right? Only Jesus can give it to you. So sing it with enthusiasm. It demands our soul, our life, our all. Let's sing as we conclude. Whoa. Praise the Lord. No service tonight, okay? Thank you for coming today. I mean, uh, we got a few holes around here, but man, I'm telling you, just thankful that you came and you're here, and thank the Lord for speaking through His Word. Uh, No service tonight. We did. Brother Joe uh, uh, is with the Children's Home for Missouri Baptist. He was going to speak tonight. We're going to get that back on the schedule, because you need to hear about uh, the Missouri Children's Home and how our church can help with that, all right? So uh, you're dismissed. Uh, no, again, no service tonight. We'll see you Wednesday night or Sunday. God bless you.